Hello and welcome to the Driven by Diversity podcast. I'm Mariana. And I'm Steph. And every week we shine the spotlight on underrepresented groups in the world of racing. Our guests share their journey into the sport and also delve into what diversity and inclusion means to them. We hope that we can provide you with real role models who you can relate to and who represent you. And more than that, that you'll feel inspired and encouraged to know that you can make it in motorsport, no matter your background. Inspired by his younger brother's karting days to set up a disruptive social enterprise, this Mancunian's proto-EV challenge sees teenage students convert used petrol go-karts into fully electric e-karts. Not only championing grassroots motor racing talent, with a focus on female and BAME community participation, our guest's initiative also encourages career progression into STEM industries, providing life-changing opportunities to those from underprivileged and underrepresented backgrounds. If that wasn't exciting enough, the programme will be working with the Hamilton Commission in the very near future. Hear more from our conversation with Niall Henry. So you are a self-described entrepreneur since 13 years old. Can you tell us a bit more about that and lead us up to the present day? So yeah, if we go back to the my schooling days, I was always that kid that was daydreaming in the classroom, always thinking, what if you could do this and what if you could do that? I wasn't at school. I wasn't the most academic uh, and I wasn't like the kid who was causing trouble. It wasn't till... I got to college that I really started to discover myself and I say one of my passions and hobbies growing up was just playing video games and always thinking what if I could make my own video game and I could I could build like the next uh, FIFA or a next uh, Gears of War it's, it's just, so I was always thinking about that so I just went to uh, a college in Manchester called Pendleton Sixth Form and I studied a, a BTEC level three in software development and uh, yeah so that was my vision is that I was going to set up my own video game company or work for a large publisher and it wasn't until I got to the second year of my college education that I decided I don't really want to go to university my one of my biggest passions growing up was I wanted to just go and travel the world uh, and go and explore and do it while I'm young rather than wait till later on in life and I remember I remember saying to everybody in the class and to my lecturer, I don't really want to go to university. I'm, I want to go and take a gap year and go travel. And I remember him saying to me, uh, my tutor saying, do you know what, Niall? Don't forget about traveling. Go to university, incur the debt, and then go and get a job. And at the end, of, when you get to 65 years old, and you, then you can retire and go and do your traveling. I thought, well, why do I want to wait till then? I might as well go travel and live my life now. So, um, and that, and that, honestly, that was the that was a starting point, and that's what I decided to do. So I graduated college and came out with a distinction star, distinction, distinction, distinction. And in September of 2013, I got I bought a backpack. I'd saved up enough money, and the whole plan was to, you know, take a take a full year out working uh, in Australia and saving up enough money to carry on traveling. Uh, in December of 2013, unfortunately, I ran out of money while I was in Australia and, uh, well, I was down to like my last 700 pounds and it was like, do I decide to stay out here and try and find a job or do I use that last remaining amount of money to take the next flight home just before Christmas, come back home and then obviously the plan was to try and get a job and try and save up enough money to go back, to, back out to Australia. Uh, and I decided in the end I was going to go with the second option and come back home. 
And as I say, I was working in retail, trying to save up enough money to go back and it just never really materialized. And so in March of 2014, I got to a point where I was like, I hate, I hate working for other people. I can't see myself doing this for the, <laughs> doing, doing this for the rest of my life. And my, one of my biggest idols and inspirations has been my own mum, Dr. Marilyn Comrie, who also works in my business. Funny enough, my mum's working for me. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so it's crazy. It's crazy even now to say that. So I had a chat with her. She ran her own uh, business and uh, coaching, mentorship and coaching uh, company. I said, mum, I really want to set up a business. Um, can you give me any advice or guidance? And I remember saying, yes, I can have to give you any support I can, but do you know what you want to do? It has to be something that you're passionate about. So I thought, right, so my biggest passion is traveling. I want to do a job that allows me to travel the world. So she was like, well, what, what would you want to do? And I remember I turned to the dining table and looked at my younger brother, Blair, who is the inspiration behind the Blair Project. And Blair is a former kart racer and Obviously, some of our viewers will know, and for anyone that doesn't know, motorsport is a very expensive sport to get into. Let's just say mm-hmm. an average family who, who, who competes in, in karting might spend around £35,000 a year to compete at a lower level. And then let's say to go on to the next level, which is your single-seater style cars, you're looking at having to bring in £150,000 a year. And then to get to GP2, you're going to have to bring in £2 million a year. So it's not financially affordable to... The average family you have to be very privileged in order to get to the top so I decided right if I could help my younger my younger brother's dream come true of trying to get to the highest echelons of motorsport then I would also achieve my dream because if, if you as I say as a racing driver you're going all over the world racing so I if I'm like sort of his manager or agent or whatever <laughs> then I, I'm achieving my dream but it's not wasn't just that aspect of what as well it's that I wanted to try, try and make motorsport a bit like football, where you don't really need the financial backing to get to the top of the, the football world. As long as you're very talented and you can afford a pair of football boots, you, you can get fast-tracked through the academies and hopefully have a professional career. So I wanted to mm-hmm. try, and, try and make motorsport more affordable, diverse, inclusive and accessible. So regardless of your race, gender or background, anybody could take part. And so that's what we did we set up the Blair project in March of 2014 and our first our first hurdle is how can we make how can we bring down the, uh, the cost and how do we go into schools and get more young people to think about having a career in motorsport we we, we wanted to make stem learning fun but using motorsport as a tool so we came up with a concept a concept called proto GP which got teams of young people aged uh, 13 to 18 to design, build, test, and race their own 3D printed go-karts. Um, so that was back in 2016, and we worked with a, a 3D printing company who were amazing called Create Education and Ultimaker. And we partnered up with a retired Jaguar Land Rover engineer to use computer-aided design to design the bodywork around the go-kart and use a 3D printer to 3D print bodywork and apply it onto an existing go-kart and chassis. We thought, wouldn't it be great if we could take this into schools and teach young people these new 21st century digital skills? So I say we piloted ProtoGP in two schools in Wigan. And uh, on the very first test session of ProtoGP, we were very fortunate enough to have His Royal Highness Prince Harry come down to the very first test day, which not only gave us... uh, 
national exposure, but also international exposure to the point where we were being featured in Hello Magazine in Canada. And we had like <laughs> American universities contacting us saying, we love what you guys are doing over here. Amazing. Let's link up. And from then on, we decided, right, we've just done something that's very innovative. How can we take our STEM challenge to the next level? So we came up with the concept of Proto EV. And that was, again, working with the same cohort of young people and getting them to convert used petrol go carts into fully electric e-carts that they got to test and race to see which is the fastest and the most energy efficient. And the whole thing with Proto EV is like trying to work with disadvantaged young people, predominantly BAME, females and white working class who have got low awareness of careers in the digital tech and engineering sectors and creating that diverse mm -hmm. workforce of the future. So we piloted Proto EV in 2018, again with uh, schools and uh, schools and youth clubs in Bolton and Wigan, because that's where our business was based at the time in Wigan. So it was three schools and two youth clubs. And again, it was a huge success. And we, our plan this year was to take Proto EV National. So we formed some academic partnerships with Manchester Metropolitan University and Oxford Brooks University, who are one of the number one teams that take part in Formula Student. Um, yeah. So I'd say we were looking to expand our Pro 2 EV, not just in Greater Manchester, in Oxfordshire, London, Birmingham and Cardiff. But then coronavirus happened. So that, oh no. yeah, so that halted our plans. Uh, and so we postponed it to 2021. And so during this period, we're now looking at putting our um, curriculum, our ProtoEV curriculum onto an EdTech platform and online e-learning. So it could be accessible anywhere. Exactly. So that's, we're currently in the stage of putting that online. And then one of the things as well that's happened is that during this lockdown period, we, as I say, we've always been an innovative company. So we decided, we decided, right, we came up with this concept called the Manchester Innovation Activities Hub, otherwise known as MIA. And what, it, what MIA is, is it's an innovation and skills training centre that will rapidly upskill Manchester residents in industry 4.0 technologies. So that's such as uh, low carbon propulsion and battery technologies, cyber security, 3D printing, artificial intelligence and virtual reality. So what it would be, Manchester residents would be trained in these new and emerging skills and then progressed into very rewarding jobs um, within Manchester Science Park. And I'm very delighted to announce that three weeks ago, we received confirmation that we've been awarded four million pounds of funding from UK government. That's brilliant. To set up this centre. Wow, which, that's really good. Well done. Thank, thank you, guys. Uh, which we hope to open uh, in early November, late October, early November. Fantastic. That's amazing. That's really, really good. Thank you. Thank you. So, that, I mean, that's the, the Blair Project journey in a nutshell. So in terms of the name, the Blair Project, is there, what's the difference between the Blair Project and then Proto EV? So the Blair Project is, was, well, was named after my younger brother, um, Blair, mm. and it is the, it's a motorsport STEM provider, a vocational and technical training provider. And Proto EV is just the name of our STEM competition. Okay, brilliant. Okay, so you've got like the umbrella of uh, the Blair Project and then underneath Proto EV in terms of like a, a class or yeah competition as you say yeah and it just stands proto just stands for prototype electric vehicle 
What has the response been of some of the young people that have been through the competition? Uh, it's been it's been amazing. So as I say, the cohort of young people we work with are young people from very disadvantaged backgrounds who, as I say, yeah. as I mentioned, have low awareness of careers in digital tech and engineering. And for example, I told these are young people that are told that they'll never amount to anything. Or let's say, for example, with girls, it might be, oh, you go and do hair and beauty or you go and study to be a scientist and that or engineering is not for you and Mm -hmm. do you know what to be honest girls tend to be the very best at our program because what we do is we aim to switch their thinking to say that engineering is for you and let's say in the earliest stage of the program with the computer-aided design girls tend to be the very best at it because they're more creative than the lads and (laughs) even when it comes to the racing element because girls tend to be naturally lighter then the lads are in an electric vehicle, uh, electric car, it's instant talk. So it's straight zip off mm. the line and it does help the lighter you are, uh, the quicker. So the girls have won our STEM competition. Let's say we've run it about four times. Uh, three, of those, three of those times a female has won. So what we... Oh, wow. What we, wow. Yeah, yeah. So what we do aim to say is that, yeah, engineering is, is for you. And kind of the big one of the big problems you have and I was on a I was on a call last week with um, Innovate UK and KTN about creating a diverse workforce and the problem that the engineering sector is facing is that a lot of people the general public don't know how good the engineering sector is and how a clean working environment it is so a lot of people have this old uh, 19th century image of the industrial revolution and that's what engineering is it's spanners and <laughs> building bridges yeah building bridges you get oil on you all over your clothes and <laughs> as I say engineering is one of the cleanest environments going I mean a lot of it's done on laptops and computers and as I say yeah. it's what we go in what we go and do is not just educate the young people and show them career opportunities but educate the teachers as well and because what mm. you find is one of the biggest problems that teachers go through all their life through education and don't really have any business experience outside of the classroom. So, and obviously with austerity cuts, schools can't afford to send the teachers out for let's say CPD uh, training. So we aim to Mm -hmm. bring the technology to them and train them up so that they're more aware about the technologies and the career opportunities. Yeah. So it's not just sort of children that you're targeting. Obviously, that is the main bulk of it, but also you're able to upskill the teachers as well so that that can be passed on to future generations of of kids as well and students. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we've had a few teachers who've said, why the hell am I in education anymore? I should be jumping this engineering. (laughs) (laughs) And I have to laugh every time. It's just like, yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying, but we we need somebody to teach the young people and show them the opportunities. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It is literally. I mean, that's that's who that's who we cater for is that market, and it's because you know what you find is that with BAME or uh, females is that they're not given the opportunities, and some of the employers uh, there is a bit of unconscious bias as well when it comes to hiring mm-hmm. those those people. So we try and change that around, and really just give them the skills that so that the employer can't say no, and. A lot of the things, the conversation we're having with, with employers is that they don't care about what your grades are. It's they want to turn onto the onto the other side of the paper and see what activities have you taken part in. And so a project like Proto EV, and, and they can look at it as a all right, Proto EV. So you built your own electric car. Tell me more about that. And that's what they're looking for. Is they want what practical 
activities are you doing yeah and so that that really goes down well and uh, i say we, we've had a lot of young people who've gone on to um study apprenticeships or training ships instead of going down the route of uh, university mm, like the traditional route yeah exactly showing them all of those different options that are available to them and not just as i say the traditional path that many teachers do tend to sell into to young people these days but in terms of the uptake that you have of young people are you aware of the demographic split so in terms of the percentage of females taking part those from underprivileged backgrounds and, and those from the BAME community, so Black, Asian and Minority Ethnic, for any listeners that aren't aware of, of that acronym? Uh, I, I don't really have the, the figures, but I would say it's close to 60% lads and 40% girls. And the, we, Oh, wow, that's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, and we do work predominantly with um, disadvantaged young people. That's who we work with because we want to give opportunities to those from a, a lower... Who might face barriers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and because you've got you've got uh, organisations like F1 in schools and Green Power who mm-hmm. already work with, let's say, the more privileged kids. So obviously there was not really a market targeting working with kids from, let's say, a disadvantaged background. So that's why we started, and you know we could we could relate to that anyway. So that's why I wanted to try and help other young people and facing the same situations that I went through, and my younger brother, to a, in terms of the karting world and try and help them and bring them up so they can be our next, they could be working in the Formula One teams of the, of, of the future or even working in different areas like aerospace or they could be working on the next Tesla or yeah. Jaguar Land Rover of the future. Yeah, super exciting to see like what the opportunities are as well for, for these young people because the future is so unlike, unknown with regards to technology and it's constantly evolving at the moment. So. You mentioned that you wanted to focus this on underrepresented groups and, for example, those from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. Having worked with people and young people from those backgrounds, what have you found are some of the barriers that they are facing themselves? Is it access to funds? Is it their own mentality? Is it the unconscious bias of employers and things like that? What are you finding is the most prominent barrier? I think... Some of the some of the barriers are is that a lot of the young people don't really have a lot of self confidence. They may have been told by not their own teacher, but other teachers that they that they've worked with that they'll never amount to anything. And you know what, you're you you you're not smart enough to do such and such a thing. And uh, in terms of like say funding as well, that can be an issue. So for example, on behalf of that school or that youth club we've gone to. Uh, a company, an engineering company, to say would they sponsor that school to take part because the school can't afford to do it. And let's say that sponsor is reluctant to do that because let's just say, one example, we had an airline company who were very interested in sponsoring the Proto EV STEM Challenge and a team, but because that team that we suggested to them couldn't afford to, but their parents couldn't afford to use their service to charter on their plane, they were interested in in that working with that school and they wanted to work with a school that you know what their parents could afford to fly on their planes or let's say another example with an wow. automotive manufacturer because that their parents the parents of the young people that we work with couldn't afford to buy their cars they were interested in in sponsoring so that's uh, one of the tricky situations that is that you find is that Companies, let's say engineering companies, want the the best of the best, but they believe the best of the best are those from very 
privileged uh, backgrounds who, yeah, so... Which is just not true. Which is just not true, exactly. Um, I mean, look at people that I'm, uh, you've got, obviously, like Lewis, um, who doesn't come from, who didn't come from a privileged background, but has made it all the way to Formula One. Obviously, he's had support. His dad's been a massive, um, a massive help. And also, you obviously, you've got support from Ron Dennis as well, which, which really helped. But, you know, you need people who are going to take a chance and support you. And sometimes that's just one of those things that's really hard to get is support from companies. Um, but there are, there are more proactive companies that are coming forward and saying, we really want to work with uh, the Blair Project and Pro2EV and we want to increase the diverse workforce in our, in our, in our engineering company. So that's, that's, that's been great. So in terms of the uptake and, and the young people that can get involved, how is it that you target those particular groups? Is it through sort of when they apply that they have to meet certain criteria or do you go into certain schools where you know you will find those demographics and, and the young people that, that can take part in, in the Blair Project? Um, yeah, I mean, what we, what we tend to do is we target areas which are obviously high in fame or female uh, mm-hmm. and then what we we don't really select the young people it's we get the teachers to select the young people and who, okay. who actually deserves to or who's who, who who they think would actually benefit from the program and so we leave it to the teachers uh, obviously in the first year of the first year of pro 2 ev um let's say in wigan and bolton they don't really wigan wigan more bolton probably a little bit less so but there's not a high population of black Asian minority ethnics. Um, whereas in Bolton, mm-hmm. the, the, there is a little bit more, but I say it's very low. Um, mm-hmm. So it is working with white working class young people and, and females. Yeah. But yeah, as I say, we we, we want to work with anybody, uh, anybody from those backgrounds and just really open the opportunities up. In terms of what has drawn you into motorsport, in terms of obviously now with what you do with with your STEM project, did you have an interest in motorsport anyway? I know you said, uh, you mentioned that your brother Blair, he'd carted, but for you personally, was motorsport an interest ever? Or was this something that just happened because it it conveniently happened at the time and, and it's something that you've now carried forward and, and built into this successful project? To be honest, no, I didn't really have an interest in motorsport. <laughs> when I was growing up, my my things I loved was playing football, uh, cartoons, and uh, I was a big wrestling fan when I was younger. So <laughs> it was it was through my younger brother's passion. So uh, so I've been told uh, by my mom his actual first word was car. So it always feels like now you look back, it's like it was almost destined to be. Um, my younger brother and my dad used to sit in front of the TV and watch Formula One. Uh, every weekend or every two weeks when it was on and uh, I would sit there I wasn't really uh, that interested I was focused on other things and so it for me it was really just going through the my teenage years and going to the circuits with my younger brother and just being there to support him and then obviously what I really wanted to do after I came back from traveling is, is really wanted to help make his dream come true and it's the whole thing around if I if I can if I can try and help his dream come true then I can achieve mine. So I owe this all down to my younger brother. So I always say the two people that I have in my business, I've got my idol, which is my mom and my inspiration, which is my younger brother. So without those two, I wouldn't be where I am now. So yeah. Love that. And how is it working? So essentially a family business, how is it working with both of them? 
Oh, oh, do you know what? It's so aced. I, I love every yeah. minute of it. I mean, the thing I would, I'd say the positive about having a, a family business, what I always tell people is that, let's say if you set up a business with a friend or somebody that you don't know, the minute you have an argument, that's, that's pretty much like, well, it, it won't be over, but you know, you have a really bad argument, then you know, you're looking at trying to get away from that person or you might just shut down the business. Whereas, you know what, there are times where me and my younger brother or me and my mum argue and it's, it's knowing that, you know, we're going to have to take that home anyway. So, you know, <laughs> we need to, yeah, we need to air it out and just get back on the business because, you know what, we need to support each other. Um, and, you know, what, there's been times where we've gone through some lows and, you know, what, you go through highs as well. But especially in the lows, you probably think to yourself, like, Do you know what, is this even worth it anymore? Like, are we just beating a dead ship? And then, and then you, have, you have those conversations like, no let's just keep going, keep going, keep going. We're going to end up getting there. And then, you know, things actually turn out for the better. But I love every minute of it. And, you know, I, I say I couldn't do this without them. So that's really lovely. So growing up, um, obviously, your brother was interested in karting and involved in karting. And delving into more of the diversity side of things, what sort of challenges did you guys face as a family from an underrepresented background, as a black family going into a very white sport? Well, obviously the first one is that you get the aura and the sense of feeling like you don't belong. Mm -hmm. Um, Being the only black kid at a circuit, um, yeah, you find that not a lot of people are receptive. Um, to that and obviously uh, you know what you'd have to have a conversation with my younger brother Blair but throughout the the times that I went there I didn't go to every race meeting but I went to a few obviously we were never hurled with verbal abuse but you you got a sense of feeling like you know yeah this isn't this isn't a place for you and yeah I think that that was one of the things we kind of wanted to change and try and make sure that more people from diverse backgrounds and I wouldn't even say just from a race point of view you like girls on the grid you don't you barely saw any I mean if you did see a female it was they were supporting their younger brother or older brother at the circuit and weren't too many female races so as I say it didn't feel very inclusive motorsport and you know what sometimes you have a some uh, companies exploit you and take advantage of you and let's say in terms of equipment and that and just you know just uh yeah it's it's it wasn't too much of a great place I mean but you know you you have your you, your bad apples everywhere you go so the majority of the sex was very nice but yeah there was just that feeling and do you think that that's improved now or do you think it's sort of stayed the same and nothing's really changed um well when we first started the Blair Project, the motorsport community wasn't very receptive to us. And I think they thought the Blair Project was, um, I don't know, like a joke. That, you know what, what, what are you guys no doing? No credibility. There's no credibility. You guys should know that this sport isn't for you. Obviously, the only ever black racing driver that's ever got to Formula One is Lewis Hamilton. And obviously, we've never, there's nobody else. We've never had anybody come through, not even to a GP2 level anyway. So we, I remember contacting a few companies to say, this is what we're doing. We ran this um, talent academy and we were looking for support. And it was just no engagement 
they weren't really interested. And I think they thought, probably just thought, oh, this is an organization that's going to be here for a year or two, and then it's going to fade out. And now we've been here for six years, and we're getting to a point where, you know what, we went from us chasing other people and hoping to see, like, like, would you like to work with us, to the point where people are contacting us saying, we want to work with you. Uh, you guys are the only people in the UK doing diversity and inclusion in motorsport. And so even we've even had conversations with Formula One as well. And I can't, I say I can't go into detail with that, but they've reached out to us in terms of how we can make sure that we can bring in that diverse workforce of the future through traineeships and uh, apprenticeships. That's fantastic. And have you been working or speaking to any other sort of either organisations or initiatives to do with diversity and inclusion within the motorsport industry at all? Um, so in terms of diversity inclusion, obviously, uh, driven by diversity in Lindsay, we're about to speak to the Urban Youth Racing School ah. based in Philadelphia. Oh, amazing. Out in the States. Yeah. So who I would say are like our equivalent in the States. Mm, um, yeah, and, I think so. But that's the thing. In the UK, we are the only people who are doing it. And I would say the only people who have been interested in doing it. Nobody else mm. has been doesn't care I remember in the early years um in I think it was might have been the first year or the second year I remember a lady speaking to my mum and we as I say we were doing the stuff we were running a program called girls in motorsport and just really about trying to give opportunities to female races at a karting level and I remember some woman made a comment to my mum and said why are you doing this why are you giving these young people a false false hope they'll never be able to afford to do it. Wow. So they shouldn't even bother. And it was just like fancy telling a young child that like, don't bother pursuing mm. your dream because you'll never be able to afford to do it. And it's just like... That's really sad. It, yeah, it, no, it, it was truly shocking. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. And I was, only, I was only 18, 19 at the time. And I was just shocked. But you have that throughout our period is just people just saying, yeah, you should be doing what you're doing. It is sad because it's more than just money. Like, yeah, yeah, to get, if you want to be a racer, obviously there is money involved and that is very difficult. And even people from privileged backgrounds encounter um, sort of issues of sponsorship and funding. But in terms of if you want to become an engineer or sort of move into the side of motorsport where you're not a racer, but sort of working within, you know, the workforce, you yes you need to pay to go to university but scholarships are available there are ways around it like I don't think it's for anyone's place to be you know turning their nose down on on people trying and wanting to prove their potential and and reach their best I'm always actively promoting to the young people to go down the route of an apprenticeship or a traineeship and I'm obviously promoting universities as well but I would say to a young person from a very disadvantaged background why go and spend three, four years at uni incur 40 grand worth of debt instead of going and doing an apprenticeship where you do four years and you're going to get a degree out of it and there is no debt and pretty much you're you're learning every day on the job. That's more, more, I would say that's more beneficial to you um, than the academic route. And nine times out of ten, young people agree and want to go down the route of the traineeships and apprenticeships and obviously some young people want to go and live that uni life anyway so you know you can understand go and live the uni life but make sure you take part in some practical activities yeah the practical aspect of it is is really important for hands-on jobs you have to have it 
um, because the theory will only take you so far. But going back to some of those comments that you had from that lady when you first started up the project, how do you guys get past that sort of mindset from people? Because I'm almost certain that she's not the only one that has that mindset, unfortunately. And I imagine some of your kids as well also come up against that. How do you guys train yourselves to sort of discount that negativity and keep pushing? I think you just, you just got to bat it away. And you know what, there are times, like I said, you get knocked down for opportunities because of uh, people's uh, limiting beliefs that they don't think you can do it. And I say the mm-hmm. perceptions and it's just saying that, you know what, just just ignore them and just do what you do. Do what you do best and let them chase you rather than you wanting their help or their support. Mm-hmm. So as I say, in the early years, it was very hard. So I remember in the in the first year of the Blair project, we took part in a, a competition on ITV called the people's millions. And we actually applied to be on the show. And we, out of a thousand applicants, we made it down to the final six, which was fantastic. Um, and the competition was, is that every, for three nights in a row, an organize, one organization would go up against another organization. And the organization with the most votes gets 50,000 pounds worth of money. And so obviously over the three nights, three organizations would win 50 grand. And then the, let's say there's a fourth place award for 50 grand. So that's the fourth place or the loser with the highest amounts of votes. And uh, we were going up against a swimming bath in Chorley and we thought we would absolutely ace them and we would win it because it was girls in motorsport. And unfortunately we didn't go ahead. We didn't get enough votes and didn't actually end up winning, getting the fourth place. So we didn't get the opportunity to win the 50,000 pounds and I remember being sat in front of the TV and my mum was just saying because we'd worked on the on the Blair project for the first it was 10 months in and we hadn't turned over any money at all and it was it was that conversation we had and just saying should we just give up and Mm. I remember turning back to my mum and just saying no I'm not ready to give up like I I and selfishly it was like I want to prove other people wrong I want to prove my friends that wrong that I can be a very successful entrepreneur or my teachers who told me I I would never amount to anything I wanted to prove them all wrong and it was it was kind of like if you call that a selfish reason but as well it was just that it was that burning passion inside to say that I'm gonna make the Blair Project a success and make sure that the sport motorsport in general is more diverse and inclusive well I hope that day comes soon you're definitely on the way there so that's positive that perseverance is really admirable, but of course, you have to have a bit of give from the industry that you're trying to get into. Do you know what I mean? Like you can't, as much as you pass fit, you have to have them, some people within the industry wanting to work with you as well. What sort of things do you think the motorsport industry can do to help promote initiatives like your own? Uh, so one of the things I talked about in diversity in motorsport video that we do on, on YouTube, so the Blair Project number one on YouTube for all, all the listeners out there, why not work with stem programs like proto ev we're already doing stuff working with diverse young people and trying to create that workforce of the future so yeah there are organizations like us or um obviously you've got like f1 in schools um but that they're at my kind of a different end of the spectrum but there are there are already people out there who are doing stuff around using motorsport as a way to using motorsport as a tool to inspire and infuse young people to pursue 
rewarding careers in, mm-hmm. as I said, digital tech or engineering or into motorsports. So I think for a lot of those te- racing teams or organizations, just reach out and um, partner with us. Um, so, for example, we, we've been having conversations with uh, a really large motorsport um, organization and they're doing stuff around wanting to improve diversity and inclusion in the sport and especially from a grassroots level. And now they're reaching out to us and saying, right, yeah, we have this idea. You guys seem to be the right fit. How can we do, how can we make sure that we bring that next generation in there? So it's great that people are starting to switch on. And I'm, I have to give big credit. And he is, he is also one of my idols as well, Lewis Hamilton, for really stepping up and banging that drum. I mean, one of our goals um, when we first started the Blair Project is, do you know what? We'd like to have some sort of affiliation with Formula One. But bigger than that, we'd love to have some sort of relationship or partnership with Lewis Hamilton. Because, yeah, we just, I'd say, obviously, he's one of the best drivers of all time. But... You know, I really, I really love the fact that he's been banging that drum and really promoting diversity in most sport and that we should have more people of colour or females or LGBT. We should have more people from diverse backgrounds on the grid. But I suppose big one for me and the main thing Lewis has been banging on about is having more black people in most sport and especially as engineers um as well and that's that's resonated with me because obviously as, as a black person myself and you know some of the stuff that lewis has gone through in his early days of karting you know my younger brother has gone through that as well and i would say yeah my younger brother obviously wants to shape his own path as blair henry but his idol is lewis hamilton and you know what we've been approached by the royal academy of engineering as part of the hamilton commission and that's still in its early stages but i would say that's one step closer to having some sort of affiliation or partnership with Lewis and yeah through the Hamilton Commission that would be brilliant through the Hamilton Commission so that would be absolutely ace and we can start well I say we're already doing the work so it's not even like we have to come up with new solutions to try and bring those mm. people in I say we've been doing it for six years so yeah it's a proven, exactly. it's a proven initiative, initiative yeah. solution so that's great on that aspect. Yeah, that would be brilliant. I mean, I know that I'm very much looking forward to seeing what you can do there with with those various organisations that you're involved with. And I, and I know that Ariana will be very equally excited as well, particularly with, with the Hamilton Commission, because obviously there's yeah. not so much that out there that is public in terms of what the commission will set out to do and how they're going to do it. So yeah, we'll have to keep our eyes on that one for sure. Talking about the the Blair project again obviously the the project that you are involved with in terms of success stories that have come out of it is there are there any that you're you're proud of obviously working with underrepresented groups of young people have any of them gone on to to do things that you're particularly proud of and you know real real success stories that have come out of out of the organization uh, yeah, there's, there's been a there's been a couple. I mean, the big one uh, is that we used to work. Obviously, we worked with a young person who, who took part in our the very was it the first year, the first year of Proto GP. And what happened is that after he completed his uh, high school education, his family ended up moving to Coventry, and he ended up taking up a, an apprenticeship at the Manufacturing Technology Centre in Coventry, and he was meant to do a, a four year apprenticeship there. Uh, and that's like a training center and 
then after the four years, he'd be progressed into uh, a, a job in engineering. But apparently, uh, a company ended up snapping him up after the first year because they said, oh, wow. "We can't, we can't wait for um, you to be. We can't wait four years. We need engineers now." So they ended up snapping him up, and now he's on around thirty-five thousand pounds a year at seventeen. So that's is, amazing. Yeah, uh, which is wow. which is just cra- seventeen. Yeah, which is just crazy. Another young person that. Uh, took part in one of our programs and this was a young person with a special educational need so he had ADHD mm-hmm. and now he's gone through our program and he's now working at an engineering company doing like slot machines uh, fixing slot machines and uh, cool. uh, in, and gambling mm. machines in the casino yeah. but he wouldn't have got that opportunity if he hadn't mm. come through our program and again, it, it, there is, there's, a, there's been a, a few more. And even, let's say, some of the young, young women who've taken part have ended up going down the route of studying product design um, at college. Yeah. And obviously learn CAD and either go and work for a company or set up their own uh, company as well. So no, it's, it, it's been really good. And it's just, it, it's been really great in just switching young people and getting them to think about careers that they would have never really, never would have thought about before taking our program. Because as I say, mm-hmm. in the early stages of Proto-EV, we get the young people to come together as part of a team. And we have about eight, to, between eight to 12 young people as part of this team. So you'll have a couple of people who will be doing mechanic, the mechanics on the cart. You'll have people doing the electrical engineering. So with the batteries and the motor, you'll have people who will be in charge of logistics um of let's say doing a doing a gantt chart and making sure that deadlines are being hit you'll have somebody who's in charge of mm-hmm. doing the presentation and so the team will have to do uh, raise about raise a small amount of sponsorship so 500 pounds and that and that's not necessarily about them raising the money it's about getting young people to feel confident enough about around selling themselves and yeah. developing yeah. their soft skills and communication skills because the big thing that we saw is We've been out on trips to America and met uh, American, uh, gone to see American high schools and met their young people. And the difference between an American young person and a British young person, Americans are just so confident. Where you work with some of our young people, and I wouldn't even just say it's just young people from disadvantaged backgrounds. I even find the middle class or even some of the yeah it's a, it's a very british thing we're a bit more yeah, uh, yeah. reserved and you know what you'll, you'll say oh what's your name or how are you and it, they'll look down and just be like oh my name's da, 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 da. And it's, it's almost like they're obviously anxiety and you know they're not they're not confident in themselves to just really have a conversation and what we're trying to do in those early stages is break that down and try and raise their self-confidence so we get them to a point where they go out to their local community or they might go to a local business and really pitch their race team to that local business or the local community and raise that 500 pounds so that, you know what, they develop the skills. And then, you know what, when they go to a job interview after they finish high school, they can really, I say, promote themselves and say, oh, this is what I took part in. And yeah, you're just developing those skills for life. And then after they've done all the team building and raising a sponsorship, then they actually get the cart and then the young people are beginning to work on the cart. And then, you know what, it's not just, I say, those young people building the cart as well. You, we involve the whole youth club or the whole school as well. because so you might have young people in the media department who might be great at designing the logo or designing a graphic design delivery for, let's say, the team outfits and race overalls or... Um, you might have people who uh, are involved in the design technology department who can design something to make their 
their cart go a little bit even faster and use 3D printing. So, you know, you, we try and involve the whole community, the whole school in the program. That's amazing. And I think it's important that you touched on some of the soft skills there um, because, as you said, so many young people struggle with that. I think it's quite natural um, amongst a lot of young people. And it's so important, especially in an industry where it's so competitive, you have to be able to back yourself and to really sell yourself. So it's really good that you're instilling that in them as well. What are your hopes for the future of the Blair Project, aside from working with Lewis? <laughs> what are your like big hopes for where it's going to end up? You know, I was having this conversation with my mum yesterday. Um, we're involved in so many things at the minute, and we're only a small team. And it's just like, we're at a point now where we need to start taking on more staff. So I mentioned earlier, one of the things we're involved in now is this whole Manchester Innovation Activities Hub. And I'd say we've just been mm-hmm. awarded four million pounds for this centre. And we our plan is over the next five years, we want to rapidly train and upskill uh, 5,000 young people and old, older people. So 5,000 Manchester residents and progress them into very well-paid jobs within Manchester Science Park. And wow. as well, maybe progress them either into down the route of motorsport, working in the teams, or setting up their own businesses and innovating. So as well as obviously doing the training, it's going to be an innovation space. So we'll have SMEs coming in and doing rapid prototyping of new uh, products and solutions. And again, it's having that space where those SMEs can work with those uh, Manchester residents and almost Mm -hmm. you can bridge the gap and so that those people being trained can then work in those SMEs and I say reason why we've been funded for this project is that the government were really looking for projects as part of obviously coming out of COVID and building mm-hmm. the economy back yeah. better so this this seemed like a perfect project for that so that's one aspect we've got this centre and we want to train all these people in Manchester and the reason why just to elaborate a little bit more is that in uh, the Manchester city city region um, we have uh, a high population of Bain people so mm-hmm. 40% of the city uh, population is Bain and in terms of greater Manchester as a whole it's 25% and what you find especially if you come to Manchester city centre and you go and look around in a lot of the workplaces it is like spot the black or Asian person Although the city centre is made of 40%, the people from those people from those areas aren't getting the jobs in the city. So unless they're going into a bank or into a digital tech or engineering place, um, yeah, you're not seeing that. And a lot of the, the workforce is coming from outside of Manchester, so like Cheshire. So what we're saying is that Manchester residents should be benefiting from those very well-paid jobs. So that's one aspect that we want to do. And then the other aspect is with our ProTV STEM challenge, we want to carry on, keep that win and be the number one motorsport STEM program, but also set up our own urban electric racing championship. And, uh, how, and how I would compare it is, I don't know if you ever watched Robot Wars back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So to have our championship uh, a bit like that, where you get team parents and young people building their own electric cars, and then they take it down yeah. to a circuit or to our wherever we're staging the events. And then the young people would get the opportunity to race their own cars mm. and obviously have it as a, a championship. And it's just really the whole thing around trying to bring down the cost of motorsport, yeah. make it more affordable, and accessible. accessible, diverse and inclusive. But as well, 
as that, I don't know if I can go into detail about this, but this, uh, do you know what? Ooh. I'll just I'll just say it. What we want to <laughs> do is exclusive. That, yeah, we realise that motorsport, in terms of the younger demographics, is dying. Um, mm-hmm. People are engaged with mm-hmm. it, and it is that thing of just you can't relate to it. A lot of yeah. people we work with can't relate to it, and I say the people who are really really follow Formula One nowadays are is that it's that older generation mm. and so mm-hmm. we're we're looking at ways of how do you bring that younger generation to be interested in yeah. motorsport and follow it and obviously Formula E have started to do stuff around like with this stuff that they're doing you know, like having staging um, interactive events music live entertainment uh, fan boost and what we're what we're saying is that we're going to add an element of entertainment sport and entertainment to it so I would say you combine the element of WWE, like <laughs> storytelling and characters with racing. I'm not, not make it that scripted. Obviously, it's real racing, but you bring in yeah. personalities into the sport. So what you want to do is try and build up so that people are, can relate and connect. And, yeah. and that's, what, that's what we kind of want to bring to that is you know what, really create drivers and have people that people can relate to and are going to want to follow and watch. And then obviously you build up there so you can build up so they'll build up social media platforms and you bring more and more people into the sport. And, yeah. I, and I think that's what and I think that's what a lot of the top tier motorsports are missing is ways to try and interact with the younger generation. And so we're coming in now and just say, right, we're gonna do it our way. Uh, we're gonna build this up ourselves and then we'll probably get to a point where those large organizations are gonna be wanting to collaborate and say, you've got all this data, you've got this demographic that are watching your content. We want to make sure that that demographic tuned into our sport. How can we work together? So we let, we're going to let them chase us in the, in the future. So that's, that's our bigger plans. What was really interesting about that combo, Steph, was hearing about the mix between the work that the Blair Project and Proto EV Challenge are doing in terms of working with those from disadvantaged backgrounds and how they're intertwining that with a focus on sustainability, both of which are really, really important topics at the moment. And as far as we know, they're the only organisation in the UK to be doing this specifically for young people from underprivileged and underrepresented backgrounds. And what's really exciting for me is that they're also now in talks with the Hamilton Commission. Although Niall isn't able to tell us too much at this stage, it'll be really cool to follow their journey with this and see how their involvement and partnership pans out. Yeah, big things happening for them. Also, with the brilliant news that they've secured that £4 million funding for the Manchester Innovation Activities Hub, that sounds like it will be instrumental in teaching a range of skills, including those that can be applied in the motorsport industry, and that will hopefully bring in some fresh new talent. If you want to keep up to date with The Blair Project, follow them on Instagram at GetMeMotoring, or for more info, check out theblairproject.org. As for us, find out what we're up to on Instagram at We Are Driven by Diversity. Thanks to Noel for joining us. Hit subscribe to be notified about future episodes and make sure to rate and leave a review.